Market. The S&P, the ISX stocks. This is Motley Fool Money. Welcome to Motley Fool Money, our very special and very regular Sunday mailbag edition. I'm Scott Phillips, the Motley Fool's Chief Investment Officer, and I'm joined by Andrew Page, the Managing Director and Founder of Strawman. G'day, buddy. How are you? G'day, Scott. Hey, before we get started, can oh, you dear. tell me what the Motley Are we starting Fool with a tangent? <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm just, I'm just interested to know what, what the Motley Fool does. You're just trying to steal my line, aren't you? I am. I'm getting in ahead. <laughs> I'm stalling now so I can actually come up with something really, really good. That's why I'm just talking. Uh, the Motley Fool is, is an investment organisation that provides market-beating stock recommendations to average investors like you and me, helping us to invest well, hopefully beat the market and become better investors in the process. Nice. How do I'll, ask you, I'll ask you again next week. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so what does Strawman do? <laughs> Strawman's a, a community of self-directed investors that work towards a, a collectively improved outcome by sharing investment ideas and research. What I love, mate, is both of us are investors, not marketers. So if we if we can do a passably good job, know, that, hopefully someone else can uh, help polish oh, up man. what we're doing. And uh, look, more importantly, you know what? Don't t- don't don't take our word for it. Go and find out for yourself. Go to fool.com.au, yeah. Go to strawman.com and find out what both our organisations do. I should say for those again, I'll say this every now and again, Andrew, for a little while anyway. For those who don't know Andrew, don't know the background, why Strawman is on a Motley Fool podcast and vice versa. Andrew has been a long time mate of mine. Was a Motley Fool employee. Uh, was the original co-host, in fact, the original host of the Motley Fool Money podcast when you were doing all the intros, mate, and I was just talking rubbish. Um, and it's uh, you're back, which is exciting. So uh, you rejoined the podcast yeah. to, to help our listeners learn a little bit more about investing, do a little bit better as investors, have a bit of fun along the way. Um, and, you know, if you if a couple of listeners want to go and check out strawman.com, we hope they do. If you want to check out fool.com.au, we hope you do that too. Uh, we are the best of frenemies. We, we are to some degree competing businesses, but more importantly, in a, in a financial industry full of, I'm not naming names, charlatans, dodgy people, bad incentives, conflicted remuneration, people who will happily take your money. And don't get me wrong, we'll take your money as well, but we're going to do it the right way. And, uh, and uh, there are too few good guys in finance. Uh, if, if Andrew and I, if, if Fool and Strawman can, can uh, join to forces and produce this podcast, then we're only too happy to do it. Nicely said. Thank you, mate. Should we get on with the, pot, the uh, mailbag? I podcast? guess we should. I guess we oh, should okay. get around to it. Yes. Uh, <laughs> I will put it, I'll, I won't do the social just yet, but I will say, uh, please send us your questions because uh, <laughs> Andrew, unfortunately, has got the short straw here. Uh, we're going to try and record three weeks with a podcast before I leave. Uh, can I tell you, Andrew has been very gracious to, to allow us to do that because that's a lot of his time we're soaking up. Now, you'll get three weeks <laughs> off. So he's not, you know, he's not doing it for nothing, but uh, it's going to take a little bit of effort. So if you can send us some questions, we would very much love it because if I have to come up with the questions, that will be in all sorts of trouble. And we don't want to not do a podcast for you. So if you want to hear us over the time I'm away, that's going to be kind of mid, mid to late July, uh, mid to late June, I should say. If you want to hear us, please send us your mailbag questions. I'll tell you why in a minute, but uh, start thinking. All right, here we go, yes. mate. First question comes from Joe. Hey, Scott and Andrew, thank you for continually producing valuable content each week. As I've said before, mate, I'm not sure what podcast she's listening to, but uh, she thinks it's ours, so that's okay. Uh, I I listen avidly to your podcast as content is released on my one-hour commute to work and appreciate the insights into various companies, many of which I've heard of, some I haven't, but always happy being educated further, especially in what would normally be the dead time driving. I'm a subscriber to Extreme Opportunities in Australia and Rule Breakers in the US. Did we do this one last week, Jam? I think we did, did we? Uh, it's about A2, yeah, so we, we have talked a bit week. about A2. <laughs> we did this last week. I'm going to move on just to pretend what, I didn't what? do it. Pretend I didn't get it completely wrong. Um, 
You know what I've done? I've got the wrong mailbag file. That's what I've done wrong. Here we go. Uh, oh, dear. dear. <laughs> so there you go, Joe. You had half a question asked for a second time. Tell you what. How professional am I? Great stuff. Here's one from, here's Great. One from Miles, mate. Hi, Scott and Andrew. Love the podcast, The Motley Fool, and love the straw man website also. There you go. Boom. I've always been a fan of the idea of keeping cash on hand to purchase shares if and when the market crashes slash corrects slash implodes. I'm sure you've been asked this previously, but if you don't mind, my first question goes as follows. How much cash do you keep on hand in relation to your portfolio? And how does that change at different times? About a year ago, just after COVID became well known, two analysts were comparing the levels, their levels of cash on hand between about 20 to 50%. Hindsight would have told them to chuck it all in the middle at that time, and they would have done extremely well. I would argue that having more cash on hand when the economy is doing well is a bit more prudent, albeit difficult. I know you can't really pick the top or the bottom of the market, but how do you find a balance between the two? My second question, we'll get to that. If the market does drop significantly, would you reposition your stocks accordingly? Let's go to that later. First question, mate, cash on the sidelines. It is a question we get asked regularly. It's one we've answered. Yeah, it's come up before. Yeah. Yeah. But what I liked about this particular one from Miles was he not only talked about just the amount of cash, but also how does that change or how could that change? through a market cycle. And I think that's a really interesting one. So I've said before, I'm almost always fully invested. Um, but his question is, you know, I, I like the, the extra bit of kind of nuance about, well, okay, but what if? You know, if the market's, yeah. if the market's bottoming out, keeping cash doesn't seem like much, doesn't make much sense. The market's riding high, you know, if the market does tend to, you know, fall by 10% about once every year, or 18 months, the longer it's been, maybe to Miles's point, does it make sense to say, well, I'll keep a little bit extra cash and just play the timing? What, what would you do? Yeah, I'm like you. I try to be fully invested. I'm not at present because, um, you know, I need to sustain myself while we build the business and there's other there's other factors yeah, right. sort of around, around that kind of thing. But the, 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 it all comes down to the timing of it, you know. Is that being too early is the same as being wrong. So you've made the point yeah. before. If you, you've got 30% or 20% in cash for a 10-year strong secular bull market, well, you know, even when the, even when the crash comes, it... You, you probably would have been better off just just riding it all the way up and, and taking the paper loss on on the chin. Um, and the other side of the of the presumption is is that you will act in the way that you think you will act when the crash comes. <laughs> yeah, and and I can guarantee you you won't. It's not not a criticism uh, to no, any one person. It's the same for, for me and for anyone. It's just sort of the 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 conditions necessary for a big market sell off in mass amounts of uncertainty. <laughs> yeah, now, that's right. Now you look at you look at COVID as the most recent example of that. I vividly remember, like in early part of last year, just thinking, "OMG, this is <laughs> things are gonna get real." And yes, the markets come back, and yes, it's cheap, and yes, I was buying, um, but I thought it could got, could have gotten a lot worse, and I thought it could have lasted a lot longer. And so now, when I look at where we are today, my regret is is not buying as much as I could have or should have. Mm-hmm. And and so I think that that is the that is the the thing you need to wrestle with 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 the the cash argument is are you going to be right in your timing not just once but twice mm-hmm. and 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 the listener has made the very valid point that it's not about picking tops and bottoms uh, and it's absolutely not because you just can't do it if, let me let me emphasize that you can't do it no one can do it <laughs> don't pretend you can correct, um, it's not possible it's not possible um, uh, but you you still need to get it broadly right for that. For that cash strategy or that uh, the strategy as outlined for it to it to work properly. So I think if you are someone with at least you know ten years plus of an investing horizon ahead of you, 
I, I would I would try and I would try and be as fully invested as I could. Um, but also look at it from an individual perspective. There's no point staying invested if the company that you've you've bought, the, the prospects have massively deteriorated or it's just being valued at insane, unrealistic levels. Or the, there, there are always mitigating circumstances. Um, but yeah, I don't know. What, what do you think? I completely agree. Uh, we have made the point before, as you said, about the market running up. Um, and the other thing, by the way, about holding more cash in, in bull markets, and so I like Miles. So he, here's the thing. I love the thinking, right? So he's, he's, he's attacking the question the right way by saying, okay, mm. I get that holding cash may not be great, but at some points, if the market's more expensive, if there is somehow, therefore, you know, a higher likelihood of, of there being, you know, some fall at some future point, the closer we get to that, the more cash you would want to hold. And I get the logic of that. So it's the right question. What you need to play out, as you say, mate, is the, is the and probably, you know, you've been around a bit longer, um, is the realities of what tends to happen. So the, the, the hardest part with bull markets is the last 12 months are normally the strongest. If there's going to be a crash, the 12 months before it are normally pretty good. The problem is that- They, they call it a melt-up, right? Um, oh my God, I hate that term. Yes, they do. Uh, the other <laughs> opposite, the meltdown. Right? So, you know, the, the, point, the point being that if there is a 20, 30, 40, 50% gain in, in the 18 months before that, and the market then drops 20%, you would have had to you would have had to have waited to be in cash until the very last twenty percent of that. You couldn't have known when it was going to be, how long it was going to take, and it probably went up faster mm. than you expected it to. And so yeah. even if even if you looked ahead and said there'll be a crash sometime in the next eighteen months, in most big, I won't say bubbles because that, that that's a bit pejorative, but the most most you know before most crashes of the last 20, 30, 40 years, there's been a really big late surge, and the crash rarely wipes the entire surge away. And so it's mm. not even it's not even that it slowly methodically goes up a bit, up a bit, up a bit, and then crashes a lot. It tends to be the case, not always, and that's, that's why this prediction is hard. As you said, you can't pick the top or the bottom. Is it tends to be fast, and so again, if you, I, you know, go. On. I was going to say the, the the world's best example of that was that was uh, was it Black Monday in 1987, um, where we had the that big stock market crash. Um, you know, it's yep. going back a long way, yeah. but actually, I'm, I'm going to. I should have brought this up, but. Um, I, I believe that in December 31, 1987, the market was about where it was on January 1, 1987. Mm, mm. To your point, whereas it's like, it was actually one of the, one of history's big, in the, for the Australian Stock Exchange, one of our biggest crashes ever. But over that year, you, you often don't see it on charts that are plotted on a calendar basis mm, mm. <laughs> because, because the, the high and the, it, it, it goes right up and then it comes right back down, but you kind exactly. of Exactly, you know? exactly, exactly. And, that, and, and people at the start thing, of 1987 could have, and, and a lot of people were saying, oh, things are a bit crazy here, all of this kind of crazy corporate cowboy yeah. stuff that's going yeah. on. And they were right. But, but mm-hmm. you know, then they missed this massive run up and, and probably didn't, didn't react the way they should have when, when things came back down. So, Yeah, it's, uh, so it's hard. I think so that, that's, look, generally speaking, Miles, I love the concept. I don't think, and Andrew's made the point, are you going to behave appropriately at the time? Probably not. Your point about the fund managers who, who are, in theory, smart people who should have known better, who, who are the people who, you know, definitively you would say, oh, the professionals get it right, the amateurs will get it wrong. They got it badly wrong as well. That's kind of the point, right? I just, there are just so many examples of when people screw this up and you just kind of go, you know what? Could I be clever and make a couple of percentage points? Maybe. Could I, should, should I though just be like more clever by not trying to be too clever? <laughs> you know, the, the old pre-commitment yeah. device they talk about. If I just invest regularly over time and I wait for... 10, 20, 30, 40, 50 years. Am I going to have a lot of money without worrying about time in the market? Absolutely. Um, the mm. chance of an own goal is just something not, not worth bothering with. So, you know, mathematically, is it possible? Yes, if you were lucky, right, 
had the right fortitude, um, you know, and, and had the cash. Maybe, possibly, yes. But also, yeah. you might bring yourself undone trying to do exactly that and end up being backwards. And again, net, net, is it really worth it? I don't, I don't think so. So I, I hear you, mate. I, I appreciate the, the intent. I know what you're trying to do. I don't even disagree with the intent um, or, or the aim. I just don't. I really don't think it's possible. I don't think it's going to help you. Um, yeah. Because as I said, the, 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 as Andrew said, the, the bull market can go for 10 years. I mean, when do you start building the cash position? Year one, year three, year five, year seven? Now you can say year nine, yeah. but what if, the, what if the bull market only gets for seven years? Then you miss yeah. the opportunity in the first place. You didn't get to year nine. And if you get to year nine, it goes for 15 years. Then, okay, you've, you know, it's, it's, just, it's just so incredibly mathematically, rationally, logically, I get you'd want to be able to. And you're right to yeah. say, if we could, would we? Yes, we absolutely would. Can we reliably? I don't think we can. I think, this, 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 just, just, just very quick one, just, and as an adjacent point to that, because it's not, it's not the the point of of the of the question. Yeah. But I think too many people, and guys are the the worst culprit here. The um, male of the species is really bad in this regard. I think too often we look at the market as we we look for the big score, quote unquote. Yeah. Whether that's picking a bottom of a market crash and riding it all the way up, or whether it's on individual mm, stocks mm. or trying to find the next afterpay or something like that. It's that's what drags us in. Mm, it's mm. it's it's that, uh, that and that is such a potent and powerful appeal. Um, but for me, victory or success isn't about that. It's it's yeah. if I look back, if I look back on my deathbed and I say, you know what, Andrew, I managed to on average. I had some good years. I had some bad years. I did some dumb things. I did a few smart things. <laughs> but overall, I've managed yeah, to yeah, grow yeah, my yeah, yeah. my wealth at ten percent per annum. Even if, even if the market was twelve percent per annum over that time, I kind of feel as though that, mm-hmm. broadly speaking, is a reasonable degree of of success. So it's not. I'm not trying for that big win. I'm just trying. I'm more. I'm, for me, because I understand the the, the power of, of compounding. For me, it's more about the consistency and longevity of decent returns, and then and then mm-hmm. compounding. Um, you know, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not trying to go down in, in history as the the dude who got forty percent compound for fifty years. Although that would be really great. Um, <laughs> but, but, but you know what I mean? It's just like you've yeah, got to have, yeah. you've got to. Where, where are your goalposts? What are, what is your goal here? What are you trying to do? If, if it yeah. is trying to make that big score the next time the market gives you that opportunity, then then okay. But mm. but it's probably a far more conservative, sensible, and realistic target to just basically say, listen, I just want to get a really decent long term. Term compound average, and and yeah. and that is that is that is hugely that by any any standard uh, a massive amount of success, and and that's what I aim for, and I think I think that's what we our focus should be not on when's the next when's the next you know thumping opportunity to, to score some easy money. Yeah, I think that's right, and yeah, again, that's yeah, Sloan City wins a race, right? I've I've said many yeah. times I'd rather go I'd rather get rich slowly than go broke quickly, and that's kind of in that in that category yep. for me. It's not not trying to be too clever. Here's yep. his second question, mate, which I really like. He says. If the market does drop significantly, or maybe we should say when the market does drop significantly next, oh, yeah, it'll happen. would you yep. reposition your stocks accordingly? For instance, if COVID hits and you own Qantas shares and they drop to $1,000, would the best thing to be purchase another $1,000 of Apple stock? Something is much more likely to go back to its normal price level at a quicker speed. Thanks for answering my long questions and ramblings. Cheers, Miles. So he's basically saying, look, you know, okay, you own Qantas, it falls. Do you take the money and jump into Apple instead because it's got a better future? How, how do you think about... The response to those falls, mate. Yeah, I, I think I, I know this is this is you know I get on this high horse every time. So whether or not your shares are up or down does make makes no difference to to what you should be doing. Whether it's a market crash or whether it's any kind of situation, whether it's in fact abs- right now here and now, I'm always trying to say where is the best use of my money relative to the opportunities mm-hmm. that are out mm-hmm. there. 
and and as I say, that doesn't need to be a question you ask during during a sell down or something <laughs> like that. So yeah. so I I'm I've I've got this sort of watch list of shares that I've done a bit of work on. I like them. I've come up with prices that I think are sort of sensible. And of course, every day those prices change on the market. And some of the stocks you hold go really well. And although that's yeah. great. Yeah. You know, maybe the value proposition once isn't as good as it once was, whereas something else is. So I'm the adjustments mm-hmm. I make are always in that context of ice forward, looking ahead. Whatever happened in the past, I'm up or down. My thesis was right, it was mm-hmm. wrong. Today, what do I do today? And as I, the analogy I always give is, just imagine your broker calls you up and says, listen, there's been a system error. We've sold all of your shares. I can press a button and you can have them all back exactly as they were. Or yeah. do you just want the cash and do you just want to reallocate? I think I think you should almost start, not every day, that's a bit silly, um, but perhaps every three to six months, that's a good exercise to go through. Um, yeah. You don't have to make the money back on the same stock that lost it. And just because you've made 100% on a particular stock doesn't mean mm. it can't go up another 100%. You know, that, that yeah. it's, it's all about where to from here. I like that. And that, that, I completely agree. I think one of the things I would say though is, it's, so it's obviously tax considerations. If you're losing money, you're probably <laughs> tax losses rather than tax gains, but always think about tax implications, yeah. not as the driver, but as part it's of It's a secondary decision. consideration. Look yeah. Right, look at the after-tax yeah. implications rather than rather than try to avoid paying tax um, or, totally. or harvesting tax losses for the sake of it. Your point about not making it back the way you lost it, I think is also really, really important. The only thing that grabbed me out of Miles' question was, will it make the money back quicker? So he's looking at Qantas and Apple and trying to kind of bet on which company is going to get there faster. And I... I will say, Miles, that's the only thing I'd probably suggest you just take half a step back and, and maybe don't um, – just just don't uh, – try to avoid thinking you know the answer. I'm trying, I'm trying to politely say you can't know which one's going to make it back fastest, right? If you look at there's – a, there's a US cinema chain in the US called AMC. Have you been following that this year, Ram? The shares, I have a little bit, up, yeah. The shares are yeah. up like tenfold this year, right? Yeah. Now, if I'd said in January which company's going to bounce back from COVID fastest – like Miles might have used AMC rather than Qantas as the example and said, I'll get out of Apple and I'll buy AMC. Uh, you know, I'll get out of AMC, sorry, and I'll buy Apple. And mm. you know what? That would have been, a t- in hindsight, not, it wouldn't have been a terrible decision, but it wouldn't have been the, the, the fastest recovery. So again, mm. I think, I think the, 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 the assumption seems to be, oh, I think Apple will bounce back quicker or go up faster, therefore I'll buy Apple shares. Now, I'm not saying buy Qantas. I'm not, a, I'm not a Qantas fan. I'm not an Apple fan either. I own neither. Um, and I'm not saying you shouldn't get out of Qantas and buy Apple. In this hypothetical example, what I am saying is look at the best long-term return from either stock rather than how quickly you get there and try and take that bit out of your mind because you can't know it. So to whatever time and effort you spend trying to work out which one will be quickest has to be by definition rampant speculation and unlikely to be, you know, frankly right more often than not. Just, there's no way to know and so your odds are probably coin toss odds. So I would simply mm. be saying what, which company do I feel best about over the long term at the current price? If that's Apple, go for it. If that's Qantas, go for it. But don't sort of think, okay, well, which is going to get back to the best place in the next six or 12 months? Um, because mm. you can't invest based on based on speed or based on short-term expectations of price movements because you just can't be right. You won't be right, I promise you. Uh, and I've been doing this long enough to know we don't know the answer to that one. Is that, is that fair, mate, or do you disagree? No, I, I 100% agree. I mean, Mars is right in the sense... It's how you frame the question. It's always a question of which is the mo- the best value. That's the right question to ask. To, to, to your point, though, it's not which one is going to get back sooner because you just you, you just won't know. I've mentioned to you plenty of times that of all of best investments I've made, it it generally requires me sitting on something that's been pretty ordinary for a year or two, <laughs> and yeah, then exactly. finally gets discovered by the market yeah, and makes yeah, it yeah, extraordinarily yeah. worthwhile. Um, so it's it's sort of like well, it would have been nice if that happened in the, that first year, but. <laughs> 
but it, it, it worked out pretty good, you know. Um, yeah. So it, it, it's, it, yeah. It's, it, 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 the thing is, here's the thing that you can say with absolute certainty. If you get that long-term view on the business, right, and you pay a sensible mm-hmm. price, that those returns are, are virtually guaranteed. Just the financial yeah. gravity of the situation will mean that you'll, you will get there and you'll be very happy with it. You just can't, you just can't say when that will, that will exactly happen. Yeah, for sure. No, that's exactly exactly right. Cool. Let's move on. A question we got from Shane. She says, Hi, Scott and Andrew. I'm a long-time listener. I love the podcast. Thank you, mate. Is, as a novice... This is a great question, mate. You'll love this one. As a novice ASX share market investor who is taking the time to read annual reports and announcements on companies to further understand their current financial position and future prospects, I am trying to make, in quotes, investing sense, close quote, for the company Brainchip. From the annual report from 2020, now he goes through some numbers. His revenue was $121,000. It lost $27 million, but has a market cap of close to a billion dollars. Current share price, mm. he says, of 56 yeah. and a half cents. With such low revenue, significant net loss, but large market cap, how, oh, he doesn't say how on earth, but I'll add it for him. How on earth does an investor arrive at a buy decision for such a speculative company? It can't be on the financials alone, question mark, regards Shane. This is a really, really, really great question, mate, because you've got a question cracker. that's yeah. making a little tiny bit of revenue, losing a fortune, but is valued at almost a billion bucks. And he's kind of like, I've read the reports, I've, I've read the statements, how, how can I, how, you know, what, what, what can I use? What, what, you know, fundamental reason can there be for people to pay yes. a billion dollars for a business losing $30 million? And because you're our small cap expert, and because I want you to go first, I'm going to ask you first. I'll take the next question. Um, you, you can go first on this one. How, how do you, how do you, well, if you have a view on Braidship, mate, feel, feel free to share it. If you don't, this mm. is a general view, general question. How, mm. how would you think about a company like this in terms of what would you consider before trying to make a decision on whether to buy, hold or sell or simply just put it in the too hard basket? It's a phenomenal question. I love it. I actually do know a little bit about Brainship. It's actually oh, nice. the it's the eighth ranked stock on Strawman. It's really popular amongst our our community. Um, it's given us like a seventy one percent money weighted return since we first added it to the index in August last year. So it's been a, a real win for mm. for the community so far. Um, and there is discussion on 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 Strawman exactly about that. How do you value it? And so it it. it it's a it's about not what the financials are, but what the financials could be. For so for those who don't know, the code is BRN Brain Chip, mm-hmm. and they're doing what's called, I think it's a neuromorphic uh, computer chip. And so it runs. It doesn't need a CPU. It's got very low energy requirements. It's what is a, there's a massive use case in what they call edge computing, and we've mm-hmm. got a real potential to go down a rabbit hole here. The, the bottom line is it's a new type of computer chip. And the potential for this thing is massive. If and and what's what's driven the share price higher is not the financials, but anyone who's who invests in in new edge, new age. Well, what's the word for it? Cutting edge technology <laughs> knows that more often than not, it doesn't it doesn't live up to its expectations. With Brainchip, they they keep having these announcements like, yes, we've proven that this works, and yes, we've entered in a collaboration with with NASA, and yes, we're doing this. So they've kind of it's like a it's like a biotech company that's just past phase one, and then it's past phase two. And it's just the future yeah. is like yes, there's all this potential. If we cure cancer, we're going to make a gazillion dollars. But they've mm-hmm. actually gone further down the path where it's actually looking like this is looks like a viable technology. Mm-hmm. And if it is a viable technology and in, in, it does get adopted as sort of the standard within that within that uh, industry niche, yeah. then 
then a billion dollars is cheap, frankly. Mm-hmm. So, so that's why it's worth so much because people, right or wrong, and we don't know yet, but people, right or wrong, feel as though this technology is, while it's not really generating much for the business right now, mm-hmm. will generate squillions for them as they scale up and, the, and this technology starts to get incorporated. So that is the nub of the question. I don't own brain chip shares, not in real life or not uh, either on, on straw man. And it's not because I'm, I'm, I, it's, it's not, it's not, there's nothing there. It's, it's, I just not, I'm not smart enough. I don't understand the industry well enough. I don't understand the, um, the, the technology well enough to have a firm view that this yeah. is going to be everything that it's touted to be. Now, it could well be, and I don't want, I don't want the brain, brain, tri- brain chip um, uh, fan brigade to sort of come and send me a whole bunch of, of, of bad emails. I'm not saying it won't. <laughs> I don't know. But, yeah. but that's that. So it's a full circle, Shane. How do you value it? You need to come up with some kind of thumb suck as to what mm-hmm. revenue and sales and earnings are going to look like in five or ten years. And you'll find that most of the of that is is way off into the future because even if things go swimmingly well, they've got to up production and there's a lot of capital investment. There's a lot of cash needs to go out mm-hmm. before any cash will come in, even under the best case scenario. Mm-hmm. And and the further you go out, the harder that prediction is to make. But you have to do that. If, if you want any hope of, of doing it, you have to be a person who says in 2031, I think that this company will be making $100 million in revenue and maybe $20 million in profit. And based on that, I think that they're probably worth X dollars at that point in time. And I might discount that back by 10 or 15% or whatever I feel is appropriate to get to a, to a price that is sensible today. And if your assumptions are, are broadly right, you, you'll probably do really well, or you'll at least have a very accurate valuation. Um, but it's Doc always used to say, right? Garbage in, garbage out. That's the hard part. And, yeah. and that's what you need to figure out good good luck because i i can't do it. it it is it is stupidly hard mate i, I think it, <laughs> i i think you, you're right the, the the thing that gets me most is the lack of revenue right now i think you know the the and you gotta be so careful of story stocks right I, i'm also i'm also mindful of of you're saying someone who's listening who owns brain chip and is you know strongly strongly in favor of doing this thing because there's the the there's, there's plenty of examples of when these sorts of businesses have done well and plenty where they've done horribly. And you can't yeah. know. Every, every biotech company, this is, not, this is not biotech, but every biotech company ever has tried to be the, the next solution for the next big problem, right? Mm-hmm. And it is one of those scenarios where, you know, you can look at the size of a potential market and say, man, imagine the world demand for a drug that cured cancer. That would be a besquillion size dollar market. And so you can say, well, if they get 1% of that market, then it'd be this. Or maybe if they get twenty five percent of that market in five years, it'd be this. Or yeah. what you know, whatever example you want to give, and I'm I'm using deliberately obtuse examples. But you, you know, the, you so you got to try and size the market, but then you got to try and work out what the probability of success is. And then realize that these businesses are kind of lottery ticketish kind of businesses, right? Because mm. will it get there? I don't know. If it does, will it get there first? I don't know. If it gets there first, is it going to remain the best solution? I don't know. And mm. so you kind of got these layered concerns or questions, and I think. For me personally, I want to just want to see more revenue. I want to see this business starting to deliver on its promise. Other than that, I wouldn't invest in it. Not because it's brain chip, not because I have a view on the company particularly, just because with a six-figure revenue and a you know nine-figure loss and a almost what was that ten-figure market cap, eleven-figure um, mm. market cap, it just, it just makes no sense to me to to jump in that in that in that game. I just I just think you know what maybe it does well, maybe it doesn't. 
Um, you don't have to have a view on everything on the stock market. There's 2,000 companies, just there's plenty of times around. 2,000 companies on the stock market. I don't, I don't have to have a fully informed, you know, bet, literally put money down on up or down on each of these companies. I just simply say, you know mm. what? Do I have a high probability of success of getting this one right? So make it about yourself, not about brain chip, right? As you said, do I know enough to be right about brain chip? Probably not, you know? Mm. And if I was, would I be right because I was lucky? Yeah, if I bought brain chip shares today and made 10 times my money, I honestly would say to you afterwards, mate, <laughs> that was a lot of ticket. I had no idea. I had no business owning that stock. Um, you know, unless you know what you're buying, why you're buying it, and what you expect from the company. And frankly, mm. I've said this before, and I've always got to add, because I said to people, unless you've got a reason to believe, like, oh, yeah, I've got a reason to believe, yeah, I think it's going to be great. No, no, no. Mm. Don't, don't just make up a reason. You know, you have to like explain it. Explain it in a way that would convince somebody that mm. you are right. Not that you could mm. be right. Not that, you know, like having a view. Oh, I think it would be massive. Okay, why? Because mm. doing brain stuff, right? You know, unless you answer mm. the competition questions, the market size questions, the timing questions, uh, and have a reasonably good ability to do that, paying a billion dollars is a lot of money for any business in this sort of space. I reckon. Yeah, it, it, it's hard. Um, I, I'm, I'm not uh, against early stage business. I focus on early stage businesses. I, I really yep. love it. But yeah, I do. I do generally. I'm, I'm happy. It, the best gains on these kinds of stocks are those who are in first. You're on the ground level. It goes from two yep. cents to twenty dollars. I mean, that is, that's, <laughs> isn't that those. phenomenal? Yeah. yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. I tend to go for more of the stock that's already gone up three or four fold potentially, and yep. not buying just because it's gone up, but they're at a point where a lot of that uncertainty is gone. And to be fair to the brain chip brigade, um, their AKD 1000 chip is actually in production right now. Right, right, right. So there, there's actually, they're actually, actually today uh, in June of 2021, yep. you can have a much clearer view into, into as yep. to when sales and revenue is going to start to develop. Saying mm-hmm. that three years ago, it was much more of an uncertain yeah. day. So it's not silly. It's absolutely not necessarily silly because the, the, we're actually seeing some real important milestones being passed. So I, I think, I, I what am I trying to say? I, I, I think... Um, that's the compromise that you make. The earlier you get in, the more of a lottery ticket it is. The later you get yep, in, yep, yep. Um, there's less upside potential. But on the flip side, there is more certainty in all of that kind of stuff. So, yeah. Um, yeah so, so I, I, I've actually, I've, I was very dismissive when I first saw this come on the board. Thinking, oh my goodness, why are people backing this? But I, I, I think <laughs> you can look at it seriously. Try and answer some of these questions. And if you, if you feel as though with some degree of confidence, you, you can. Um, trace out a, a bit of a future, then by all means, do it. Um, yeah. But but if if you're like me and you get to a point where it's like actually too hard basket, don't be ashamed to put it in the too hard basket. There's nothing wrong with that. Yeah. Um, I, I mentioned this with Koshi a few times when we've done the call on Ausbiz, Oz, is that I think the way to play this is, I don't like that term, but anyway, the way to play this is for me is I take a, a, a basket approach. So if you want early yeah. stage bleeding edge tech companies, Know that it's it's probably better to buy ten, and and know that eight or nine of them are, are not going to do anything. Mm. But the one that does do something, the one that does become you know the ten bag or the fifty bag or whatever they call it, that that will more than make up for it. You 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 still got you you look back in hindsight and go, I should have put it all in that one. But you don't know that then, and it's just it's it's mm. a if if that's the kind of thing that gets you excited and you like doing all that <laughs> kind of stuff, be careful. But but mm. that's probably mm. a better way to do it because you're 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 spreading that risk out, and the upside won't be as significant, but neither will the downside. Mm. It's um yeah, I think that's right. I, the only the only probably because I'm, I'm I'm probably not as small cappy as you are, which is not a word, but I've made it up. The only thing I would say is buying ten small caps is still likely to give you a negative return. 
<laughs> or at least the you know any any random ten, right? So if it wasn't the case, then you would. Just oh, if it's a random it, okay. ten, yeah, totally, yeah, right, right. Yeah. So all, all I want to add to that is you know when when you say buy ten, don't just buy ten you know two cent stocks and wait for one to make you. Oh God, no! Oh, happen, yes. Right? Yeah, no, no, I know, no, I know you, no. I know you know, I know you meant, but I just want to, I just want to make the point that to, to people listening, you, you know, you still have to do the work of choosing ten with above average chances of success and that totally. are well run with decent, mum- like you know, the, the business quality metrics still apply. Otherwise, the whole yeah. market would, would, you know, you'd buy any small cap you wanted to and buy ten of them and, and retire tomorrow. Um, so yes, by by all means, look at them, work out which ones you want, make sure they're they're, they're worth buying, and no, you'll probably still lose money on eight or nine of them, as you say, Ram. Oh, totally. Totally. Yep. I mean, for, frankly, frankly, let's be honest here. Even if you're only investing in the top 100, you know, there's there's going to be a handful within that that just do terribly. It's oh, totally. Yeah, like yeah, that, yeah. It, it, it is just going to happen. Um, HIH, One Steel, oh. <laughs> plenty of, Virgin, plenty of gone just flat broke, let alone just AM, losing AMP. 20, 40. <laughs> right, right. Yeah. 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 Awful investments. Awful yeah, investments. Yeah. So it's not just a small cap cap thing. Do the work. Absolutely. Totally. But just, you know, just don't, don't put it all on one pony. Get more Motley Fool money advice at fool.com.au forward slash triple M. Question from it, Graham. Hi, Scott. I live in New Zealand and listen to your two podcasts each week and get a lot from them. Thanks, Graham. You cover some great topics and I like both your and Andrew's different perspective on things. I mean, you like mine more, right, Graham? Just, just <laughs> I, sh- I, assume, I assume that's true because you put me first. Uh, I've also joined up with Strawman. Oh, man, come on. I've also joined up with Strawman, says Graham, and it's a great platform to be part of and also contribute to. I'm sure Andrew appreciates it. Do you want to Good to have you on board, Graham. Yeah. There we go. I've been an investor on the ASX for over 25 years, says Graham, and I have an observation which I would like to share. It'd be good to get your thoughts. I like this. I, I like that too, mate. Like this is, We do Marbag largely as a Q&A, but I love mm. when our, our listeners give us some ideas as well, either answering their own questions or to share some observations like Graham's about to. He says 100%. this. There is often some weakness in share prices in June particularly when the company uh, when the company's recent price is dropping has been dropping I think this is because investors are selling to realize any losses for tax purposes December he says seems to be stronger my assumption has been this is caused by the annual staff bonuses and the corresponding super contribution if true it seems to be a bit of an anomaly that can be exploited by savvy investors keep up the great work Graham now, I said I'd go first in this one mate so I will unless you want to jump in no, no, please, please. <laughs> okay. Um, so that's interesting, Graham. So you, I think you're – so individually, I think we – is it, the question is, is it a market issue or is it a, is it a company issue? On, on the June 30 stuff, I think you're actually dead right. There is often an opportunity for both tax loss selling, if you've made some losses you want to harvest for your taxes, so that pushes prices down, and tax loss buying, if you're someone with some cash to, to put to work and you're looking for areas where the market is occasionally and temporarily – kind of less efficient than it normally is. So I think you're dead right about June. There's a couple of things to think about, though. The first is it won't happen every year. If the market's had a good year, you won't see any at all because no one's selling to harvest those tax losses. There's no point selling before June and harvesting again because you've just got to pay the tax. So the only reason that June selling would make sense is if the company you hold has actually fallen in value since you bought it um, and likely you know, often in that year. Uh, but that, that's important too, right? So if you see a company goes up 75% then drops 20 most people aren't going to sell it because they probably have bought it at lower prices anyway. So there can be tax loss selling. If you see a company that's been losing for a long time or uh, suddenly loses a big amount and investors are like, you know what, I've got to pay some capital gains tax. I could take, take out some money here 
um, this other company I've lost money on and pay my capital gains tax bill or offset the bill, um, I'll do that. So that can absolutely happen and it can be a really fertile ground to go looking for bargains. It tends to be in smaller companies or, or more thinly traded companies because the efficiency will be will be or the, the inefficiency sorry will be uh, recognised and made up for by somebody else as well, including you know computer trading and other stuff. If I you know if Woolies shares are down a bit, someone's going to buy them at, at you know three to four percent lower. You're not going to get big big opportunities. So I think that's that's probably something to think about. But to your point about it, yes, I think absolutely June 30 can be a really or the kind of the week before can be a really useful way to if you've got a, a, a watch list. Um, you can potentially jag some bargains. So yes, absolutely, I completely agree. Mm. Um, not always, by the way, and, and I wouldn't buy just because they're down, as always. Um, but as Andrew said, I think it was was it today, Matt, or Friday? Yeah, if, if you if you like a company, the shares are down. <laughs> you don't, you know, there's no reason I like it any less unless there's new news. So um, yeah, yeah, if you were looking at buying a company and the shares are down, and it's because of tax loss selling, it's a great time to be fishing uh, for great ideas. So yes, I completely agree. When it comes to December, I'm so December's a funny one. There used to be a thing called the January effect. And mm. shares used to go up in January. And so you know what everyone did? To your point about exploiting it, Graham, they all bought in December before the January effect. So you know what happened? That pushed share prices up in December and hey, presto, the Santa Claus rally was born <laughs> because everyone was trying to front yeah. run January. The last couple of years, and I don't know if it was true last year, I have to, I'd have to check, COVID was a funny year, but for the last two of the last three years at least, November has been a great month because everyone's trying to front run the Santa Claus rally and you can keep, you can see where this is going, right? So look, to some degree, is there an opportunity? Yeah, probably. Um, you know, there, there, is, there does seem to be a trend there, but I don't know what staff bonuses made. It's a really good summer. It may well be. You might be exactly right. My, my guess is it's not staff bonuses. My guess is it was people trying to front run the, the January effect, which used to be a thing. Um, and now, as I said, the Santa Claus rally was born out of that, which is kind of what you're talking about. Uh, but I think largely that's that's grown out of um, uh, that, that's become the November <laughs> and a, a booming November. There's no no name for it yet. It's too young. Uh, but at some point, if that does become a thing, someone will buy in October to get offended of the November rally and and so on and so forth. So look, it's possible. The other the only thing I'd say overall is probably back to a question we had about keeping cash on the sidelines. If you get a two three percent better price in in June, or if you can sell out for two or three better percent better price in December. The chance of being right on that, getting your timing right, the company's responding the way you wanted to, share price not already being up or down by more than the saving or or, or the gain, um, I don't know that it's a it's a particularly useful strategy. The market goes up ten percent a year on average, right? So call that. I'm going to make make some horrible maths. You just call it one percent a month. If I wait five months for June, and I get a three percent discount in June after the market goes up five percent between January and June, um, then again, I probably still cost myself money. So I wouldn't. Uh, I wouldn't. Um, I wouldn't be saving cash for these things and I wouldn't try and sell in December and buy back in January because there's some sort of, all of a sudden there's a decline or something. Um, but it's it's worth being aware of and, and just simply if you're going to buy anyway or if you're waiting to buy a great company on spa- on sale and you want to sell something else to buy it or whatever, they are good times to have a bit of a look around. What do you think, Ram? Yeah, I... I you, you've... <sighs> the market isn't in the habit of giving out easy money. Whenever there's something <laughs> to be... True exploited it will be exploited mm. so you you, you you i remember coming across these kinds of things in the past as well and you think oh yeah. isn't that interesting that's something i could exploit what yeah. i i didn't realize of course at the time was that actually there's there's probably 300 extremely well resourced incredibly mm. capable uh quant fund managers out there 
running 10 different supercomputers, you know, a millimeter away <laughs> from right. the exchange. So they, yeah. they, these, yeah. these things, these things any, any pattern, any reliable pattern that gets spotted is arbitraged away. So your question is, have, am I the first to recognize and be able to yeah. exploit this? Yeah. And maybe you are, and, and, and good luck to you. In the particular yeah. example, this is a phenomenally well-known thing. So it, 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 I, went to, I went to, I was at some event years ago, probably only two or three years ago, and there was a quant fund manager presenting, and they were talking about this exact effect, and they were going right. to set up this fund, and they were going <laughs> to do this, and they thought right. confidently that we could get 2 to 3% extra. And I, I looked, I kept an eye on it because I just thought BS <laughs> at the time. Right. And, and surprise, surprise, they did terribly. Um, in fact, by trying to be too clever, they missed out, because of all the transactions and mm. all the other consequences with it, they, they, missed, they missed out on it. Mm. So here's the thing, like... Um, you know, I'm happy to tell anyone who listen. I bought Prometica shares at 85 cents or something like that years ago. <laughs> it's 40 something bucks today, right? Like that is, wow. Um, plenty of other bad investments along the way and sold too much on the way up. Rah, rah, rah. Every kind of mistake that could be made, I, I pretty much made with that one. But if I, do I regret that I got it? I could have actually bought it at 70 cents. You know, I, I could have yeah. bought it. At, I could have waited yeah, and yeah, I could have yeah. got yeah. it. I, I think whenever we talk about and whenever anyone talks about the great successes in the investing world, whether it was investing in Amazon in 99 or whether it was in you know whatever, but, but you could pay 10 or 20% extra for the, for the real success. It makes no difference. So we, we spend so much effort fiddling around the edges trying to get something – you see people do this just when they normally trade. I, I don't use limit orders. Um, so for those that don't know, you can place a market order or a limit order. Market orders, just, yep. just buy me whatever, $10,000 at the best price you can right now. Um, or buy it as long as it only gets to this price. I used to mm -hmm. always do it, and now I don't. I kind of think if I'm half right on this, do I really care that I'm going to pay a dollar four point five, or if I'm going to pay ninety eight point three, or if I'm going to pay a dollar twenty two point? Like it, it, yep. it, it, it becomes such a rounding error, and the real wealth isn't in trying to exploit some small, tiny inefficiency where you might get a few cents or percentage points up there and down there. The money is made in in the compounding over several years, and so. Yeah, it's not my game. Good luck to you if you can do it. You're up against some incredibly stiff competition. If you've heard about it, probably a lot of other people have heard about it as well. So I, I yeah, it's just, look, I used to be much more militant about this kind of stuff. I'm much more agnostic these days. Whatever works for you is what works for you. I've not mm -hmm. found it work for me and I've never seen any evidence of it working for anyone consistently. So it's not, it's not a game I choose to play. I just, I just for the fun of it, mate. So I think it's spot on. By the way, I think you're exactly right. I just pulled up for the fun of it. Woolworths trade history, um, and, and in three days in late April, the shares fell five percent. Uh, they mm. then gained four percent in the first or second week of May. Um, mm. That's probably larger than any any January effect or June effect or December effect or Santa Claus rally anyway, right? And that's just three yeah. random days. If you were lucky enough yeah. to buy the day before or day after or sell the day before or day after. Um, the, the 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 noise, literally the noise of the market is probably going to overwhelm any any cleverness that we want to try and bring to it. Again, I I, I don't mean that at, at all to be um to be dismissive of Graham's point. I think it's the right question. He's been training for a long time. He's noticed those things can be true, um and and they can be, uh, but I just it's one of those things as you say that the chances that you can have a 
trading strategy, which beats your investing strategy, trying to be clever about those dates, I think it's probably a long shot, as you say, particularly these days with supercomputers and all that kind of stuff. Um, generally speaking, I'll, I'll rephrase something you said, which is just that I want to. I'm only going to play a game. I think I can do a decent job of winning at. I don't even yeah. winning, winning as in being the best at. Just literally not losing to the other bloke over there. And if I'm trying to if I'm trying to beat a computer <laughs> at a trading game, I'm going to lose 95 times out of 100. I just it's, you just are right. Um, yeah. If I if I'm a long term investor, b- trying to bet against people's temperament and behaviour and impatience and fear and greed and headline following and whipsawing, I think I can win that one, or at least and not win as in be the best ever. I think I can beat the market doing that. I think I can beat the market trading against a supercomputer. Like it, it just it, it, yeah, the, the the very the very reality of who's on the other side of the trade is actually really important. Do you know? I, do you know what I think gets missed out a lot of this too? So let's let's not let's let's just assume for the sake of an argument that there's two investors <laughs> and and one of them has a really powerful computer, five screens in front of them, Bloomberg terminal, and that's what they do, right? And they they yep. trade every day, multiple trades in and out every day. <laughs> and for the sake of argument, let's say each and every year they deliver a fifteen percent return, right? Mm-hmm. After mm-hmm. tax, after cost, everything. That's phenomenal. Now let's say you've got investor B who gets ten yeah. percent per annum, right? Yep. But what they do is they just save up a bit of cash and whenever they've got a bit of extra spare, they buy an ETF and they get a 10%. Yep. Now, financially, uh, is the first investor better off? Well, it seems as though that's the easy answer. Mm-hmm. But while one person has got a full-time job, by the way, yeah. probably the most <laughs> stressful job you could imagine. Yeah. You're up all night watching US markets. You're in front of a computer. You are working hard for and that you're losing money, money 40% of that time the mental stress not just the not just the actual time spent but the stress of that oh my god I lost 30 grand this week I right. mean spare me it's 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 a, it's a very not many people are built to withstand that kind of and even when you're good at it you're going to have long periods of, of under, so yeah. but the other person in the meantime while their returns haven't been as good they're out there working a job where they've got guaranteed money coming in through their salary and the rest of it. So you you can't look at it in isolation. So I, I've often had friends in the past say, I'm going to give up my job and I'm going to trade. And it's like, well, that's cool. And even if you get a better return, that is cool. Yeah, but, yeah. but there is an opportunity cost in that. And that is, is that by choosing to do that as your job, you no longer have the capacity to work another job, which would be yeah. far more probably reliable and, and certainly much, much lower risk. So it's, it's not the point that Graham's making, but it is it is one of those things I see some people out there who legitimately tend to get really good results but it's kind of like mm. do you know what if I was just buying ETFs but I've just managed to hold down a, a job packing shelves at Woolies or something <laughs> I, I, I'm actually in terms of my time yeah, spent yeah. not not even right. to mention the emotional time I'm probably better off so you, yeah. you, you have to factor in the workload to it and one other quick point which is separate to all of that that I'd make which 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 comes uh, you reminded me of what you were talking thing. before it's I hate this term do you ever you see it all the time like on when the pundits are talking they always say buy the dip so yeah. it'll come up on the call or something on Ausbiz and someone will go oh I love this company this is really great um, it's just a bit hot at the moment I'd, I'd wait for it to fall 5 or 10% and then I'd buy it and yeah. I think god that sounds smart but god that's dumb <laughs> Because if you, it's my point with Prometicus or anything before, if it's a good company that you really like, I mean, is your valuation that accurate that at this price, oh, you wouldn't touch it, but 10%, you know, it's like 10 (laughs) screen bar. At at a dollar, what a stupid investment. 90 cents, the bargain of the century. This buy the dip nonsense is, it's not, whether it's dipped or not, it's, it's, (laughs) is there value? That is the question. And the amount of people in expensive Armani suits that work for very high profile businesses (laughs) that say, 
that with a straight face. Yeah, it, I know, I know. It does my head in. So sorry. There's there's my rant. I just think when you start hearing someone talk about buying the dip, they, they get they get pigeonholed pretty quick. And I, and I also like this. And this is why it's worth. This is this is. I mean, I made the point before about you know if I if I have a play a game where I get to bet against other people's behavioural psychology. That's a game I think mm. I can win, right? And and yep. is that arrogant? Yes. Is that by definition falling behave, falling to my own behavioral psychology? Yes. <laughs> yep. So I'll, I'll absolutely I'll take that as well. Um, but to that exact point, you got you got it makes such logical sense to say I would like it ten percent cheaper. Of course I would. Of course. If I could buy Coke now or yeah. next week ten percent cheaper, I'll buy it next week. Thanks very much. But yep, if absolutely. if Coke is if I don't know what the price of Coke is going to be tomorrow or next week, what if it's twenty percent more expensive? Then I'm a yeah. deal for not buying it. And if you think yeah. about the the I wrote this morning on. I was going to have a rant on Friday. I didn't because we ran out of time. About this, this, these hedged ETFs. Did you see that article on the AFR? Yeah, yeah. Anyway, so the, these, and we've had, frankly, I, I love our members at, at Motley Fool Share Advisor. We've had people in our discussion boards talking about how they're, they're, all, they're all buying these, you know, beta shares bear ETFs, right? Mm. Over the last twelve months, the bear ETF lost thirty percent. The market's at an all-time high. Mm. Lost thirty percent. The double leveraged bear ETF lost sixty percent. And again, I'll say the market's at an all-time high. Mm. If you're being clever in air quotes by doing that, same as buying the dip, it makes it, it it's it's first order thinking is it makes no it makes logical sense. Say, oh, you know what? I would buy it if it was. I would like it cheaper, please. Sure, mm. we all would. Mm. Or the people who say I want some protection just in case the market falls. Cool, of course we all would. Yeah. Am I prepared? <laughs> but given the arc of human progress is up. The market, stock market has always gone up over time despite falls from time to time. We are at a new high. I said we were at a new high when I wrote an article last March in the middle of the COVID recession. Not to give myself a rap, but just to say, you know, it was always going to happen. It, you just had to wait and let it do its thing. You just had to, like, this is the, investing is the, is the most slothful job in the world. You wait for things to come to you, right? You don't have to yeah. go and get them. Wait for the market nah. to hit a new high. Benefit when it yep. does. Don't try yep. too clever bloody trading bear ETFs or as you said, you know, day trading or whatever you're doing. I on your on your the call thing. I'll finish with just one thought, and then we'll probably finish for today. Um, I was doing a. I was sorry, I, I was at NAB this week. I also um, addressed the Australian Shareholders Association. They were kind enough to invite me to address their their annual conference, which was lovely. I did a quick ten minute spot or fifteen minute spot nice. on some stocks I like, which was lovely. And I put my I put the returns of Motley Fool Share Advisor and Everlasting Income to the services I run up on the board, and I I, I kind of. <laughs> I'm, I'm not. I'm not the world's best self promoter, right? So I feel a bit guilty, a bit kind of like I'm, you know, a shameless plug. Like I don't want to try to overdo it, but I did it, and I and I said, "Here's what I said to the crowd: Look, here's my returns. I say that because I'm proud of them, but I say that because if you're going to listen to someone on stage giving stock tips, you want to believe they're actually doing something. Like you're, you're believe, how, how many how many people how many experts have you talked to here who just say <laughs> I think you should buy BHP, and there's no context. Like you know, they they might have said. By the way, I was I was I was picking up garbage last week. I've just started this new job. I think you should buy BHP. Or it mm. could be I've been doing this for twenty five years. I still haven't made any money. I think you should buy mm. BHP. Or mm. I'm really bad at this. I've underperformed the market for twenty three years straight. I think you should buy BHP. Or hopefully they're saying I'm good at this. I have a track record. I'm half capable. I know what I'm doing. And I think you should buy BHP. And so the only other thing I just to add to your rant about about experts and and we work with some great people and we work with some. Other people, um, <laughs> what we you know, you surely you don't, you know, if Doctor Bloke was up your hey, I'd like to take your appendix out, please. Say, um, okay, but I'd kind of like to see your qualifications. And have you done it before? Have you, <laughs> and, and have you done it? Well, yes, I have done it before. Did the patient live? No. <laughs> oh, okay, I might go. I might go the other guy, right? Um, yeah. Oh, cool. 
And so anyway, I just I would, as as your ranter, I'll make that point that you know I I don't I I really dislike big noting myself because our performance is really really good over almost 10 years and I'm really proud of that but I'm also mindful that past performance is no guarantee I could still screw it up from here so could everybody else mm. and mm. I'm not saying that you should only look at past performance alone but I'll tell you what if I had a, if, <laughs> as you say if I had a track record with two doctors one with a, one with a track record of patients who live and one with a track record of patients who die maybe past performance is no guarantee but you know what I'll still take the one whose patients that actually come out of the anaesthetic that'd be, that'd be a good starting point wouldn't it? Mate, I, look, I 1,000 trillion percent degree, I, I agree. Um, That's not a number, but, you know that, don't and, you? And again, like, well, I, I mean, this, <laughs> we talk about being bad promoters here, but look, the, the whole idea with Strawman is that we want we want a forum where people can share ideas. We're all for that. This yeah. really yeah. great private investors out. It's brilliant. But the one thing that we do differently is we actually we hold people to account. So it actually, it's probably yeah. turns a lot of, I'm sure it does turn a lot of people off and we'll, we'll, we'll be limited in our potential because of that. But right. it, it's very deliberate. Like if I'm, if some random person on some internet forum is telling me to buy brain chip shares mm-hmm. and I can see that they've got a two year yeah, history of strong right. outperformance exactly. and, and they've made yeah. some very credible in, insights and that I think, well, I'm, yeah, I'm, yeah. I'm all ears. If it's some bloke who everything he touches turns to poop, um, has this mm. terrible track record. It's, track record is is not the past mm. isn't a, a guarantee of the future, but it is mm. something that I think is it has always blown me away in the industry. Just how few, particularly the professional punditry sort of people out there, um, yeah. the talking heads, how actually they they don't practice what they they preach. Yeah, and so right. you sort of, you, you'll have a show on something you're talking off air. It's like, oh, so how much have you bought of that? It's like, oh, I haven't really got any of that. Mm-hmm. But mm-hmm. you just said that that was, you know, if, if you don't, if you're not, I think that that's the ultimate test of, of conviction yeah. is do, do, do as I do, not as, as I say. And it's yeah. scary how many of, of uh, <laughs> you know, particularly sell side broker analysts and that who just, who don't eat their own cooking. I mean, yeah. Yeah. So, enough said. Full stop. We're done. Uh, but that, that's enough for it. We, we need some time off. We'll go and we'll go and cool down. We'll come back next week. Uh, thanks for, for <laughs> listening to, to the Molly for Money podcast with myself, Scott Phillips, and Andrew Page from strawman.com. Uh, before we go, don't forget you can subscribe to the podcast. We hope you do. Do it through iTunes or your favourite Android podcast app. Also, please have, check out the listener app uh, made by our friends at Southern Cross Austereo, of whom we are part. At least uh, we are a partnership of... Uh, a podcast production with their network so uh, check them out as well um, if you'd like what we're doing please leave us a review leave us a rating um, as I said many many times good for our egos um, but also helps other people find the podcast and hopefully if you're enjoying it other people will too I will say if you want to get your question answered or like Graham have, make part question part comment we'd love to hear from you uh, please check out our social channels they're the best way to get in touch I'll do them in reverse just for fun if you want to email us some people like to send a long email, which is particularly fine. Info at fool.com.au and our crack member services staff will absolutely make sure that your question makes it to us. Uh, if you want to jump on Facebook, The Motley Fool Australia or I'm Scott Phillips Money is my work page. Just facebook.com slash Motley Fool Australia or slash Scott Phillips Money. If you're on Instagram or Twitter, look me up at TMF Scott P. Look up The Motley Fool at The Motley Fool AU and... You can look up Andrew on Twitter at Sage underscore Simeon and at Strawman Invest. Please send us your comments, send us your questions, follow our accounts, and just be part of the part of the conversation. Um, whether during the podcast or not, it's just fun to hear from you and hopefully for you to hear from us. Uh, but as I said, we, we do love getting your questions and comments. That's what makes the mailbag episodes in particular so much fun. And we look forward to producing some for you. We are going to have a couple of weeks off once we pre-record some. So get them into us quickly. 
Make sure we've got them. We'll take some after, of course. We'll start to uh, rack them up in the mailbag. But in the meantime, if you can let us know as soon as you can, if you've got any questions or comments, feedback, something you want us to talk about, topic ideas. What do you want us to talk yeah, about? Please do. Yeah. Let us know. Yeah. In the meantime, have a good weekend. Full on. See you later. The Motley Fool and people appearing in this program may have positions in the companies mentioned. General advice only. Please speak to your financial professional to understand how it may pertain to your situation. Subscribe to the free newsletter at fool.com.au forward slash triple M. The Motley Fool operates under financial services license 400691.